Go ahead and turn to Matthew 13 tonight. Everybody say fruit. God desires when he redeems us and he begins to restore us back to our true selves as we walk with him. He said we would have fruit that remains. The Christian life is one that clearly tells us in Psalm 1 that no matter what conditions we have around us, we can be tapped into God, tapped into what he's doing in our lives. And the richness of the soil of our heart is one of the most important elements of us bearing fruit. So we have desires. We have things we want to see God do. God, a lot of times, not a lot of times, I'd say every time, and we miss this a lot. When God wants to do something in our lives, it comes in the form of a seed. And when God plants his seed of word into our heart, whatever that may be, then it's upon us to nourish it, to water it, to encourage it. That's why we need each other. That's why it's important to come on Wednesday nights, to come on Sundays, because hopefully you'll be encouraged and having fruit that remains. So Matthew 13, verse 1 tonight. This is a parable of Jesus. He spoke in parables quite often. Oftentimes his disciples didn't get what he was saying. And this is one of the instances where they came back and said, Jesus, what it was that you were talking about? Make it plain to us. Why do you speak in this way? And he said, I speak in this way so that those who have ears to hear can hear. So there's a spiritual understanding to what you're going to hear tonight that we aren't going to be able to get it unless we have the help of the Holy Spirit. How many would say he's the helper and he's the one that helps us through everything? So Holy Spirit, as I preach and teach tonight, God, I pray with all of my heart that you would help this word go deep into our hearts and it would cause fruit, Lord, 30, 60, 100 fold in each of our lives. Lord, correct us, guide us. Father, tonight, help us focus on those things that are important and to lay aside those things that aren't. God, through your word, we know that you'll bless us, change us, and and challenge us tonight, Father. That's what we desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about four different kinds of soil, and I'm going to focus, and I'll be doing this over the next few Wednesdays, and then on Sundays, Lord willing, not this coming Sunday, I'm going to talk about family culture, but the Sundays after, I've been really, really studying and looking at the miracles of Jesus, that those miracles were were signs and wonders, the Bible says. So there were signs pointing to God, his nature, and who he is. And the parables we're going to look at over these next few weeks, Lord willing. And tonight I really felt focused on this one about the soil. But Jesus talked about four soils, or in other words, four conditions of the human heart of the people he was talking to in Matthew 13 that really was the dividing line whether they were going to bear fruit. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit wants you to bear fruit. And oftentimes when we look at the Word of God, sometimes we categorize people, well, when Jesus is talking about stony ground where nothing grew or a well-worn path where the, the Word of God couldn't take root, I think sometimes we read that and we kind of think, well, those are good people or bad people, and here Jesus is talking about good good and bad, good people and bad people. What I've discovered is that's not what he was talking about. I know a lot of believers, and I've been like this too before. In the first soil, he's like, you know, the, the word of God was sown. It was just it was on a place where it just couldn't take root and grow and be fruitful in their lives. How many would be honest tonight and say, there's times where somebody's been preaching and I have an aha moment, God's speaking to me, and I don't do anything with what God spoke to me. Anybody besides me? Absolutely. There's been other times where... One of the soils that he talks about was uh, the, that the word of God goes in and it starts to get growing and it starts to fruit and starts to get 
where you can see it begin to grow in a person's life. In other words, those are the people that, you know, Jesus speaks to them. They get saved. They're all excited. They're, Jesus, I'll, I'll do anything for you. I'll run my race. I'll, I'll go here. I'll go on the mission field, Lord, if you want. And a month later, that excitement's gone. Has anybody else been like that? I've been like that in my life where I'm just like, Lord, I, I'll do anything. And then two weeks later, I'm already coming back to where I was before. So it's not necessarily good and bad. It's the type of soil that I want to focus on tonight as we talk about a couple subjects and topics is what happens when the word of God begins to get choked out in our life. And that's the soil I want to talk to you. And and to ask you this question from the very beginning, where would you find yourself in that parable that we just read? The, the soil conditions, the conditions of our heart. We haven't read it yet, so let's read it again. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here in this parable, Jesus is talking about fruitfulness. He's talking about the fact that when the word of God goes forth, whether you're in a devotion time and you're reading the word privately or whether you're sitting under what is hopefully the anointed preaching and teaching of the word of God, it should have an effect as a seed form to go into your heart and my heart and begin to change us. And my question is simple tonight, but I think it's, it's very important. What is choking the fruit in your life out? What is it that is choking the fruit of your life out? Because, again, we think of good and bad. We think in those terms when we read parables like this, at least I did, until I really got deeper into studying it. Well, those people who let the word of God just die out, they're, they're, they're the bad people. And those who let the word of God grow in their life. And what I want to point out is the condition of the soil of our heart is important, and it's important for us to understand we control that. Amen? We can allow the word of God to come in. The word of God, it says, is like a hammer that breaks breaks hard stone. It's like a fire that melts away things that don't belong. There's all these things in the word that point us to what the word is. And my question tonight is, what is choking out your fruit? Because we all want to be fruitful. Amen? Matthew 13, verse 22 again. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word... And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes, everybody say becomes, unfruitful, which means that somebody was bearing fruit and allowed the thorns to choke out what God was doing in this instance. So Jesus says there are two things that causes good-hearted people when the word of God starts to take root in their life, and these two things keep them from being fruitful. Number one are the worries of life. Everybody say worries of life. Number two, Jesus said, was the deceitfulness of riches. And do you find yourself in either one of those places tonight? The worries of life or the deceitfulness of of riches. And 
The Greek word in the Greek language for worry literally means causing something to split. Worry will cause you, in other words, and we've all been here. You may be here tonight as you're sitting here listening to me. You're, you're here, but your mind is over here, right? Have you ever been sitting having a conversation with somebody? This actually happens with my wife quite often. She'll go on for 10 minutes, and I'll finally look up and say, Huh? Why is that? Usually, not always, but majority of the time, whenever our minds are off somewhere else, it's because we are worried about something that has either happened or we're worried about something is going to happen. And, and we spend a lot of our times, and literally the Greek word worry just means to split. It means to divide. It means to, to separate. So Jesus said very clearly that one of two things begin to creep up, and the thorns that choke out the fruitfulness of God's word, number one, are the worries of life. How many understand that you could worry about something all the time? <laughs> There's always something to worry about. There's always something to be concerned about. And then secondly, and probably equally as important, are the deceitfulness of riches. The two things that he said begin to creep up, and there's certainly more, but Jesus was being very plain with his disciples, and he's saying, what does this mean? He said, well, here, here's what happens to people. They either worry that they're so split up that the word of God can never become fruitful in their lives, or the deceitfulness of riches and wealth. I want to tell you tonight, if you're going to struggle in any way, I would rather see you struggle with money than without. Amen? But the, the, way that the, the, the way that worry will keep you from being unfruitful and the way that the deceitfulness of wealth will keep you from being unfruitful is they begin to overpower and grow up and not allow the word of God to become fruitful in any of our lives. Now, the deceitfulness of wealth is simply this, and we've all been here too. We live a life to where we are working, 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 and we're trying, 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 and we finally say, man, it, 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 say you make $50,000. Then we say, if I could only make $60,000. And then you work and you work and you put your time, your energy into making 60000 You get to 60000 and you look around and you're like, wow, what would it be like if I made 80000 right? I mean, the old saying goes that money can't buy happiness. And I say people just don't know where to shop. Amen? That's what I say. I'd sure like to find out if it causes happiness or not. I don't... But honestly, I do know our human nature is that when we do get to a certain point, the enemy will drive you to say, well, there's more, right? It's like you've always wanted a house with 10-foot ceilings. You work, you work, you work, you get the house with 10-foot ceilings. And then you walk into your friend's house that has 12-foot ceilings a week later, right? Then you're no longer content. You're no longer content with what you have. And especially as American Christians, we have to really, really focus and put our spiritual energy into combating the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, a lot of you have just tuned me out because you say, Pastor, you don't understand my financial position. I barely, you know, again, if you're going to struggle in any way, God is a blessing God. God wants to take care of you. God wants to make sure that you, in other words, God wants you to steward your wealth in such a way and the reason that we can allow God's word to grow up and become fruitful, if you steward your wealth in such a way that it's not about you, but it's about what you can steward and bless other people with, then you're not allowing it to, to 
to come and to choke out what God's doing in your life. But we all have uh, we all have a proclivity or a bend in us that bends in a way that we allow the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life to choke out God's word. The word anxiety and worry simply means whatever causes you not to be fully there. Amen. And the deceitfulness of wealth is a lie that's future oriented. It says this, if I could just get to a certain place, then boy, I would really be living. I would really have things figured out. How many have experienced that when you do get the raise and you get the promotion and the money is coming in, it disappears as quickly as it came in? That means that we're focused on the wrong thing when it comes to worry and wealth, when it comes to those two things that Jesus said is the deceitfulness of riches. And here's the lie. If I had this, I would finally be happy. Has anybody else besides me ever been convinced that you absolutely had to have something? Right? And it was tied into your joy and your happiness. Can I tell you, you're focusing on the wrong things. Essentially, the worries of this life is a failure to be here in the moment. How much of life passes us by because we're split in the moment that we're supposed to be focused on that would cause good fruit to grow in our lives, and we're so split up that we're over here focused on worry, or you're running the rat race trying to get more and get more and get more and understand our nature. If you don't allow God to pull that and rein that in, then it is truly a worry is a failure to be here, and the deceitfulness of wealth is a failure to be now. Or a failure to be content. Everybody say content. The Bible is very clear that godliness with contentment is of great gain. And the whole premise behind this sermon tonight as I get into what I believe will really, really, really help you. So there's soil. God's word goes into the soil. We've all watched people that, you know, they're so excited about Jesus and it seems like they run the race for about a month. And then they're backing away. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that hard. I didn't know it was going to be that difficult. I didn't know I was going to have to give up some things. Amen. Didn't know I was going to have to make some changes in my life. And they begin to shrink back. And these are the people Jesus is talking about. That the, the, the word of God goes in. And because it doesn't have root. Because it doesn't. The birds of the air. The enemy comes and steals away what God is doing in their lives. But if you're a person who, who is focused on the soil of your heart and you say, Jesus, you know, I've, I've been in your word. I've been worshiping. I know the condition of the soil of my heart is good. And this word is going to go in. God wants that to grow up and be fruitful in your life. And, and where he gets most of us, including me, is when we get worried about everything and we're, we're focused on the wrong thing when it comes to what our life is all about. And really what brought me to what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes is taking some time off at the beginning of the summer. And when God was leading me to do that, I talked to my pastors, talked to our board of elders, um, had never for X amount of years really taken a consecutive vacation where I was able to just really disengage and really just not only focus on God. Listen, so a lot of the things I did weren't really spiritual in and of themselves, Right. I mean, barbecue and stuff is not spiritual. Unless you see that smoke coming off as like a Shekinah glory of God just smoking up my back porch. And, and at times, I felt really guilty about enjoying just my family. Like Leah just mentioned, my son's a senior. This will probably be the last summer before I ship him to the Marine Corps next summer. 
So I really thought, God, you're giving me this opportunity. And see, worry just takes you and splits you. So I could have been sitting there engaged with my family and having a good time, and then I start to worry about what's going on with the church, right? What, what about this over here? What about that over there? And what, what's going to happen all with this? And then you worry about you know, income and things. And those are things that are natural. God said very clearly that if we put our focus on him and put him first, he takes care of everything else. And really what brought me to what I want to talk about tonight was something I've shared with you just briefly a couple of times, but it was really, really an eye-opening moment for me. And we had gone up to Ohio to spend time with family. We had participated in my niece's wedding, and we had stopped in Nashville for like four days. We got back late on a Friday night, and it was the weekend of Father's Day. And that next morning, I didn't have to prepare and get ready for a message like I do on Fridays and Saturdays normally. And Leah said, you going to church tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I want to wish the men happy Father's Day. Pastor Howell will be preaching. I just really want to go and wish everybody happy Father's Day. And when I said it, I knew in my deepest part of my spirit that God was just, just not, didn't speak to me. just felt, hmm, that's something you need to pray about. Why would I have to pray about going to church? Now, do, do, don't do as I say tonight. Don't skip church, right? I'm talking about something God showed me that is so important in our lives. And everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath is not a day of the week. It is a rhythm that God has built into his creation. And here's why he, he was very clear. He said, I didn't make man for Sabbath. I made Sabbath for man. So there's a rhythm that God brought into creation. And I'll tell him myself tonight. I was breaking that rhythm. I was pushing so hard in my family, and I was pushing so hard here at the church, and I was pushing so hard in other areas of my life with worry and the deceitfulness of riches and and worried about all these other things that I forgot that we are supposed to understand that he's in control, not us. And as I sat there that Saturday, I'd already made up my mind, I'm going to get up and go to church tomorrow. And I pulled up my news feed. It's on Twitter, used to be Twitter, pulled up my news feed, and I've never seen anything like this before reading through my Twitter feed. This pastor that I follow, I've never seen him say anything like this. I've never even seen the word sabbatical on my Twitter feed ever. And I'm scrolling through, and I don't suggest that God always speaks to you in this way. He just happened to speak to me in this way in that moment. That when I was praying about what to do, this pastor did several tweets. It was a long discourse on sabbaticals. And he said, let me tell you why pastors won't. It's because they think they are the linchpin of the church, not God. And in that moment, I said to the Lord, Lord, everything in my life is yours. And especially that church that's right down the road, Christian Center Church. I think that they can survive without me for three Sundays. And if they can't, then I'm doing something wrong in teaching you of how to live the Christian life because the Christian life is not just push, 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 push. And, 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 and hear my heart tonight, hear my heart, because I also think the whole teaching on sabbatical and getting spiritual rest has been taken to the extreme where we've become spiritually lazy. Come on, somebody. You hear me? We clothe not ever doing anything for God in this, well, I'm just resting in his glory. How about you rest in his glory teaching somebody? Come on. I'm serious. I'm being dead serious with you. So I I hesitated to teach this tonight because I thought, Lord, there may be people there tonight that don't need to hear you need to rest. You need to hear get up and do something for God. Amen? 
But for me, and we understand that the the sabbat not the sabbatical, the, the Sabbath rest is built into creation. It's a six in one rhythm of God to where he says, listen, it's a day where he wanted his people to simply say, I've got a whole laundry list of things to do, but I'm going to pretend like it's all done. <laughs> Amen. I'm just going to pretend like everything is done. Why? Because God knows that his people need to come away and come apart and spend time focusing on him. And it's a rhythm that God wants us to build into our lives. And listen, before you think that it's just a particular day, we miss the point if we start to argue about what day that you take a rest and spend time with God. Paul said very clearly, he said, let no one judge you by moons, festivals, days. He said that, right? So we get into the, the, the arguments of, well, is it this day or is it that? The important thing I want to teach you tonight is that if you don't come apart with him sometimes, you're going to come apart in your life. And the soil of our heart is important. God's word gets planted there, and that's incredibly important. And it begins to grow up, and it begins to take shape, and it begins to form fruit in a believer's life. And the thing that will choke it out is allowing worries and the deceitfulness of wealth to come in and begin to choke it out. So everybody say Sabbath. It is so important that we understand that God has built this rhythm into life. And for me, how that's worked, even over the last few weeks, there have been quite a few things that I've just simply said no to. How many understand that no is an okay word? It is. I look back over the last few weeks and I see... To where Jason two, three months ago would have said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll step out. There's been two or three instances where I've just stepped back and I said, Lord, I want to be more led by you than I am driven by the enemy. I'm telling you. Because the, the devil drives, God guides. And when God is guiding you, we understand from Psalm 23 that it's, it is green pastures. It is still waters. That you can have a lot going on around you in any given moment. But the one thing that God wants you to do is to listen to what he's telling you to do in any given place. So worry and wealth are what chokes out the word of God. The Sabbath was made for people. It wasn't the, the, so in other words, God didn't say, man, here's my Sabbath. This is what I want to show humankind and my creation. So let me create somebody to fulfill that. No, he created it for us because he understood not only was there a six and one kind of rhythm to life that God wanted them to take a day away and just say, God, I trust you with everything. And that was the moment for me here a couple months ago of just saying, God, I, I trust you with this. I, I put this into your hands because unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Amen. That doesn't mean that we don't do what, what we need to do, but the enemy will come in and he'll begin to choke out what God is doing in your life. And the answer really is to find a rhythm of life. And some of you are retired and in a different stage of life. Um, and, and you may say, well, I, I get too bored. Amen. But the Sabbath still applies because they not only had a six and one rhythm, they had seven festivals throughout a year. In other words, it was just God saying, look, I have betrothed myself to my people, Israel. We as believers are betrothed to Jesus, right? We're engaged to him. That's, that's the, that's the language that's used all throughout the Bible that God wants us to come away So that he can put the broken pieces of our week back together. (laughs) 
when I come away with God, I'm like, God, you know, this week I had this happen and I had that happen and this disappointment and I had this challenge. I had this interruption. I had this going on. I had that going on. God, can you help me with this? And if we go weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks without ever doing that, then what the danger that we will face at some point, we'll look around and we're like, my life is not fruitful. My life isn't growing the things that I want to see it grown. The principle of Sabbath is absolutely necessary to save our lives. I read a study one time. It was a zoological study. And uh, the zoo people did a, did a little experiment just because they wanted to take better care of their animals. How many understand when God created creation, all these principles were built into creation? And it was interesting because they took a group of animals and they put them out in front of people for six days. And then for one day, they put them in and let them rest and recoup. And then they, the other group of animals, they put out there every single day, seven days a week for a period of months. And they tested their health. And the group that was out there every single day for a period of months were sicker than the, and, and not in as good a health as the ones that they put away one day a week. So it's an, a powerful spiritual principle in our lives that if you find yourself where you're worrying all the time and trying to get ahead and what's, where's my next raise and I need to do this. And I'm not talking about just take, putting food on the table and taking care of what God's given you to take care of. I'm talking about us pushing so hard that we get to the point where we're going to break. Amen? And it was a day. Sabbath was, is supposed to be a day of complete honesty before God. It's a day where, again, you can just come to him and say, God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to, to do this for me. I need you to put these broken pieces back together. It simply put, Sabbath is a day, and this was what happened to me when I was sitting there praying. And I read that, and it just I knew it was the Holy Spirit because it just, it just you ever read something that just goes right into your heart? And simply put, Sabbath is a day where you just remind yourself that he's God and you're not. Amen? Amen. It's a day where you just remind yourself, God, you, I put all my faith and trust in you and you can handle anything that's coming down the pike. I'm going to give this over to you. In other words, it's a day where you're freed from the slave drivers mentality that we often have, where we're just pushed, 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 pushed. There's so much pressure on us. Amen. Is it just me? This world brings pressure and worries and anxiety. And so it's the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth which chokes out the word of God. Just one day, one day to remind yourself that he's God and you're not. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, To everything there's a season, there's a time, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's a time to preach I'm not in the scripture anymore. I'm in the new Jason version right now. There's a time to preach, and there's a time to watch Rocky. Amen? There's a time to pray. There's a time to golf. Amen? Are are you hearing your pastor today? I think so often we get into this mindset that God does not want you to enjoy this life that he's given you, and he's already built into his word. He's built into his creation a principle that we can step back and say, God, I want to enjoy parts of my life. I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy all the blessings that you have given me. 
And we get so focused on our list, our things to do, that one little interruption causes us to be stressed out, doesn't it? You ever had your list in the morning? You ever had your list of things to do? You're, you got a list going, you're like, I need to get all these things done. And then, bless the Lord, somebody interrupts what you had to do. And, and if you're like me, you're just getting a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction mode and like, man, I, I, I don't want to deal with this interrupt. Can I tell you, some of the interruptions that I've had throughout my lifetime led me to the most awesome God moments that I've ever had. And that's scripture. Jesus is on his way to a man named Jairus' house because his daughter was sick. And the woman with the issue of blood presses through a big old crowd and, and touches Jesus and stops him from where he was going. And he talks to her, and we all know the story. She's miraculously healed from an issue of blood she had. She's been all the doctors, spent all her money, and one touch from Jesus changed her. So it was an interruption that actually when you read through the story, when they get to the house of where Jesus was going, she's now passed away. And can I tell you that interruptions are not anything more than God maybe shaking you out of your comfort zone in order to show you something miraculous that he wants to do or say in your life at any given moment. Amen? A couple questions as we end tonight. Number one, and this is something I've been asking myself, who are the most important people to you? Who are the most important people to you? When it comes to bearing fruit, when it comes to good soil, when it comes to reorganizing our, our lives around one simple thought, that God does not have any desire to push you to a place where you're burnt out and you don't feel like you can run the race anymore. He wants to have a relationship with you that you can get spiritual rest and spiritual refilled and spiritually charged up so that we can continue to run the race that is before us. But one thing that you've got to ask yourself is a simple question like, who are the most important people to me? Because usually the people that are the most important in your life get the least energy. Amen? They do. Think about it. Young families that are here, sometimes we get so busy with worry and the deceitfulness of wealth that it chokes out the fruit of really good relationships that God wants you to build with others and including your family. I got news for you when you pass away, okay? I got news for you. There's only going to be probably eight or nine people around your bed, right? Focus on those eight or nine people. That's good fruit. That's, that's a life that's worth living, to trust God with everything in your life. And secondly, what is the most important thing to you? Or maybe another better way to put it is, who's God calling you to be? Is that getting your attention first? If I looked at your list of all the things that you worry about and you make a list that you have to do, if you ask yourself those two simple questions of who are the most important people in my life, does my list line up with that? And if it doesn't, begin to arrange things. Begin to trust God. It's a, it's a huge step of faith in trusting God, of saying, God, I'm not going to try to do this today. I'm just going to trust you and what you want. Amen? So here's how I want to end this. Everybody say endure. It's a word found in the word of God several times, all throughout the word. And to endure something means that you're running a race that's in front of you, that God likened our Christian walk with him as a race. 
So we run the race that God has set out before us. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. But there are principles in the word of God that will help us be fruitful, especially in our relationships with each other and relationships within our family. There's a lot to be said. As Paul wrote to his young son, Timothy, in the faith, Timothy was a pastor. Timothy was somebody that Paul was raising up and pouring into. And here in in 1 Timothy, this is what he said, 2 Timothy rather, Chapter 2, he said, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get uh, tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please their officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. I was reading that a couple days ago, and that word endure just really stuck out to me. And here's why. When you're running your race, when you are are growing fruit in your life and you're able to deal with the cares and you're able to deal with the worries and you're able to deal with the deceitfulness that the world puts on you that, man, if you don't have this car, then you're not really living up to everything you should be. And if you don't have this house and all the American dream that we call the American dream, but really probably could be called the American nightmare because people are more dead and more stressed and more focused on getting ahead than they are in what really makes a fruitful life, which is a relationship with God that you put aside time for, relationship pouring into your family and your church family and things that enrich your lives. And But there will be times, Steve, there will be a place where sometimes you're running the race that's ahead and you're just going to, as Paul said, you're going to have to endure You're just going to have to keep on. Endurance is important in our Christian life because if you've been doing this for more than just a few years, you understand like me that you can grow weary and well-doing. Amen? You can get to a place where you're like, man, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And that's why it is so important to disengage and spend that time with God because he's going to reprioritize everything in your life. And Sabbath will help keep the focus on the soil Letting go of thorns of care and worry will help. And sometimes when I talk about enduring, I'm talking about there are places where taking a time in Sabbath, attending church, being around people, getting encouragement, it's not necessarily going to help because we've all learned that there are certain places in your in your race with God that there's really not anything that you can do about the situation. And that's a great question that for me to ask you as I close tonight. If you make two lists, if you make a list and you say, okay, I'm going to put two things on there. Number one, you're going to say, what are the things I can do something about? God help me do this. In other words, if you're lacking money and you're able-bodied and you're not working, I got the solution. Get a job. Amen? Go, go make money and see that's fixable. But how many have run into things with your walk with God that you're like, God, I cannot do anything about this situation. Anybody else besides me? Absolutely. 
So when you make your list and you just say, okay, this list over here, God, I've prayed about this. I've put it before you. I've, 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 I've petitioned you. I've spent time with you. I, you've given me no leading, no direction. And there's been no change in this situation. What a lot of people do is allow that to choke out the fruit and the joy and the peace and the long suffering and the patience and all the fruit that God wants to bring in our life. We let disappointment keep us from running the race that we have because we thought God was going to come through this way. And we end up where we feel like, God, I think you should have done it like this. And I'm not sure what you're up to. So you're running a race that in, in all intents and purposes, you're kind of blind, right? Can I encourage you tonight? Just keep running. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. Just keep going the direction that God has for you. And you, if you will, and it says this very plainly, if you don't lose heart, if you don't lose heart, you will see the completion of what God has for you. There's a guy that lives in Tennessee. His name's Gary Cantrell. And he has a race in Wartburg, Tennessee. Does anybody know where Wartburg, Tennessee is? I didn't either until I read this story a few months ago. And I, I happened upon it, and I, when I, after I got done reading it, I thought, man, that is such a powerful illustration of what running the race with God is like, of, of there are times when we're just going to have to look and say, God, I'm just going to keep my feet moving in front of the one in front of the other because I know perhaps around the next bend you have something for me. The amazing thing about this guy named Gary Cantrell in Wartburg, Tennessee, the most difficult marathon in the entire world starts in Wartburg, Tennessee. I bet you didn't know that, did you? It is so difficult that only the highest level marathon runners enter into this race and if you you can look him up when you when you pull up gary Cantrell, you'll see his picture he is the most redneck looking dude i've ever seen in my life y'all big long beard no hair and just glasses and just and even talks like an old kentucky boy he's from kentucky and he decided he's gonna make this race the race is a hundred miles and it's 60 hours long a hundred miles in the mountains of Tennessee. <laughs> Listen, it the elevation changes so much that you have climbed the equivalent of forty thousand feet by the time you're done with it. That's the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest up in Tennessee. World class marathoners, world class, converge on this area of Tennessee so that they can run this race. And in one particular story that I read that just amazed me, this one guy shows up one year. They've been doing it for many years. And this one guy shows up because he heard other people talk about it. Man, if you can make it through through this, you can, you can do any marathon in the world. And he thought, well, I'm a professional marathon runner. I've run hundreds of them. I'm going to go and join this race. So the guy joins the race, and he shows up a little bit arrogant, a little bit like, hey, I'm going to show you all how this is done. 60 hours long, 100 miles through the mountains, nonstop. He lasted two days. He collapsed, and they actually had to do like a little rescue mission. Have you ever been running with God, and you've got to have a rescue mission for, for not making it to where you're going? Like you're calling the prayer chain. You're calling friends. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not going to make it. That was his first year. He made it two days. So he thought, okay, didn't make it this time. I'm going to get ready for next year. And when I start the race, I'm going to make it all the way through. Second year, he lasted three days. And the funny thing about his second time running it is he got so fatigued and he got so worn out 
and he got so, so, so hard to run that last little bit that, that he had to run, he actually started running in the opposite direction. When I read that, I thought, Lord, how many times have I been dealing with a difficulty in my life? And I'm like, God, you're really putting me through the fire now. And God's like, no, you're on the wrong path. You're running the wrong direction. This isn't me. It's me. You're running the wrong way. And then he ran the wrong way. He got disqualified his second year. So he went back a third year. I like a person who doesn't give up. Amen. The third year he shows up and he's talking to Gary, the redneck and Gary's like, well, I wish you better luck this year. He's like, I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm ready. And listen, he, he makes it, this is, this is wild. He makes it all the way to the very end. He's within hundreds of feet of the fish finish line, 60 hours. The problem was time was running out and he's coming up on the finish line and Gary blows the horn right within 300 feet of the finish line. The race ended before he ever made it to the final destination. And he collapsed. And it was over. And he said, you know what? I'm not going out like that. He crawled the rest of the way and put his hand over the finish line. And you would think it would be this real sweet moment, as Gary related the story, this real sweet moment of Gary coming over and just encouraging him, you'll, you'll, it's okay. We're going we're gonna to not count that last few minutes it took you to crawl. You, you, you finished. He patted him on the head, and he looked at him and said, there's always next year. <laughs> so listen, sometimes we can get in our own pride and think we have what it takes to run the race that's out before us. You hearing me? And we end up collapsing because we're not honoring God, his word, and the principles he's put into our life to sometimes just disengage, give all your cares and worries to God, right? And we don't run the race that he has before us. Or other times you could be like the second year that he was in there and you you get so disoriented running your race, you're running the wrong direction. That's a great question tonight is if you are just constantly beset by all these things happen and happen, there's warfare to be sure. Sometimes you need to stop and say, God, am I running my race? Or am I running somebody else's race? It may seem kind of harsh for him to come over and say, there's always next year, but I want to encourage you. When I read that, I thought, God, you're just like that. Because I want you to know, if you will put the principles in play of growing good fruit and making sure the soil of your heart is in the right place, God is going to put his word in there. He's going to put his blessing in there. He's going to put those things in there. Then it's up to us to nurture it. It's up to us to protect it from the birds, the enemy's lies. It's up to us to make sure that the condition of our heart's good. The word of God is powerful, and when it gets planted, it has the ability to cause us to have strength and to have power to run the races before us. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. If you will put the principles in play of different times in your life where you feel like you're overwhelmed, to put the principle of Sabbath. And, and listen, that is completely diametrically opposed to anything you'll hear out in this world, isn't it? Wait, you got so much to do, you back off of it and just give it to God? That's not a cliche, church. 
That's not some kind of just super spiritual sounding thing that we tell people in in order to encourage them. You can really truly give God the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And he goes on to say, run the race that's marked out for you, just like this gentleman did. Because I think God just comes along and says, listen, God is a God of not second, third, fourth. He's a God of infinite chances. Listen to me. If you are really running a race with all your heart, just like that guy was, he's like, I'm going to make this. Sometimes you just got to shake yourself in those times you spend with God and say, I am going to make it because I got news for you tonight. When you're running the race with him, you're going to make it. But sometimes you've got to disengage. And you've got to give things to God. And you've got to say, God, I trust you more than all these things that I feel like I have to do. Amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight. Here's the thing. God will give you a do-over like this guy got. Come back next year. God will give you a do-over if we are committed to running the race that he has called us to. And not the rat race, not the worry race, amen? The race that he has called us to. There's strength for it. There's encouragement for that race. There's the power of God. I wouldn't want to think of running the race in front of me if I didn't have God right there beside me to encourage me, to strengthen me, to fill me. But sometimes we get in a place where we're so disengaged from him and his principles that the word of God does not bear the fruit that God wants in our lives. Bow your heads for a moment. When I mention that there are things that you can do absolutely nothing about, nothing, you can't do anything about this. In your own power, your own strength, we all have certain things that we're like, God, I've done all I can. Would you just shoot your hand up right there and say, God, I've, I've done all I can, and there's situations that I just can't do anything about. Amen. Me too. That's something the Lord taught me over those few weeks. The Lord, I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm, here, here it is. Lord, I want to enjoy the fruit that you've placed in my life, the fruit of ministry, the fruit of my family. doesn't mean everything's peachy keen and always great for none of us. There's difficulties. But to really, truly enjoy that, I had to just say, God, I can't do anything about these situations, so I just lift them up and give them to you. Let me pray for those who raise their hand. Father, we're talking about trust. We're talking about soil. We're talking about the condition of our hearts that we can control, God. But tonight, Father, for those who came in with just a weight, they're running the race. They feel like, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to that finish line. God, tonight I want and ask you by your Holy Spirit to encourage their hearts, that you be the lifter of their heads, that, God, you would do a supernatural work and help us understand that we can trust you. Those things that we bring to you and lay at your feet and truly give over to you, God, we have the word of God that says that we can trust you with it. We can trust you with the race. We can trust you with the pace of the race. We can trust you in every area of our lives, God. Father, for those who came in and they're just so overwhelmed and burdened and and worn down by that, Father, I pray for a supernatural strength to come upon them right now, God, that you would lift that off their shoulders, that we would truly leave it here. I want to encourage you to do that right now in this moment, church. Jesus is here, 
He's listening to the, the, the voice of your heart, and he can be trusted to give that to right now in this moment. So literally just in your spirit's eye, like I did, you just kind of crumple up those things that you can't do anything about, and you just lay it at his feet. And listen, you walk away, you walk away, understanding that those things that we put in God's hands, in his timing, he will come through. Lord, encourage the hearts of everybody here that as we run our race, Lord, we might run the wrong direction sometimes. Lord, we get weary and well-doing many times. But God, your word is true that, that we will reap if we do not lose heart. He that endures to the end shall be saved, God, according to your word. So God, fill us with endurance. Fill us with joy on the journey. Fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight and give us assurance that, God, you are for us and not against us. Father, I pray blessings upon the church. Father, may they be blessed going in and blessed as they go out. Father, may they be blessed in their home and blessed upon their work. May everything they put their hand to, Father, have the touch of heaven upon it and have the kiss of heaven upon their work and their families and everything else. God, as we go from here, may it never be from your presence, but may your presence continually walk with us, lead us and guide us. Help us hear that still small voice of your voice in our hearts. And God, till up the soil of our hearts in whatever way that's needed so that we can bear fruit that remains, God. We love you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory, Jesus. I love you so much, and you love these precious people here tonight. God, encourage us with your word. Encourage us with your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This Sunday is our back to school. Bring the kids. We're going to pray individually over them. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed, 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 y'all.